Good evening and welcome to those of you out there in Zoom and ACB Media Land uh, joining us here at the Illinois Council of the Blind 2022 Convention Banquet. We are so happy to have you joining us tonight and I've been very happy to have you joining us all weekend thanks to our wonderful Zoom folks, uh, ACB Media folks that have been helping keep us on the internet and uh, keep us going throughout this weekend. Well, we have an incredible evening for you. Um, The first thing that we've got a couple of wonderful speakers. We do have one award to give out this evening, and then somebody's going to win some money after that. But before, but as we get started here to introduce our two local wonderful speakers who I think will entertain you and educate you as well, it gives me great pleasure to bring up the president of the Madison County Association of the Blind to introduce our speakers. That would be one, Mr. Terry Heltzley. My name is Terry Heltzley, and I'm the president of the local affiliate, Madison County Blind. I had a different guest speaker, but I couldn't get a hold of him after Corona, so hopefully he's still alive. But I was able to get uh, another gentleman here. He's from the Alton area. And so uh, this is uh, Mr. Kerry Miller, and he's going to tell us all about some of the history of Alton, Illinois. Well, good evening. I didn't know that the Zoom land would be participating with us. So for all you folks that are not here with us, we miss you. We wish you were here with us, but we have a wonderful group here. The uh, Best Western Premier Hotel here, I think, did a wonderful job on the food and they give them a round of applause. Thank you very much. This building was built as a Holiday Inn back in the 80s. The new owners just went under a a multi-million dollar renovation and it's just a beautiful facility. So you folks out there in Zoom land, you know, we we talk tourism all the time. Come to Alton, you're gonna love the place. My name is Kerry Miller. And on behalf of Alton Mayor David Goins and the members of the Great Rivers and Routes of Southwestern Illinois Tourism Bureau, it is my great pleasure to welcome you to what we like to call the Greater River Bend of Illinois. Now, that name derives from the fact that the Great Mississippi River, as it works its way down to New Orleans, takes a turn here at Alton, and the river actually runs east to west before it turns again on its way to St. Louis and beyond. The area is also referred to as the Great Confluence because the Illinois flows into the Mississippi River, upriver at Grafton in Jersey County, and then downriver below Locks and Dam 26, the Missouri River flows into the Great Father of Waters. It is a region that is deep in history and natural resources dating back thousands of years. From around 1050 to 1350 CE, it was home to over 30,000 Native Americans that encompassed over 2,200 acres. The remnants of that is called the Mounds of Cahokia. They built those mounds, the remnants of which are still in existence today, and it has been designated a World Heritage Site by UNESCO. They chose the area because of its proximity to the Mississippi River and the rich and fertile soil that is now called the American Bottoms. Nearby Collinsville is and has been the horseradish capital of the U.S. for over 100 years. And the first Europeans in the area were the famous French explorers, Pierre Marquette and Joliet. They kept an extensive journal describing what they saw and experienced. Those journals still exist today in Paris. And in those journals, they describe a painting on the limestone bluffs above Alton, where a reproduction still exists today of a creature Part reptile with wings and claws and a long tail with a very scary face that, according to legend, acquired a taste for human flesh. And it's called the Piasaw bird. The first white settlers were originally French fur trappers who established a Catholic mission called Cahokia in present-day St. Clair County across from St. Louis in 1673. The old courthouse in Cahokia is still there and is open to the public, and it was built around 1740. Now, after the United States acquired the old Northwest Territory from the British in 1787, things started to take off. The Northwest Ordinance 
which was passed by the United States Congress that same year, set out the process and procedures for settlers to move and start to develop the area. The territories of Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, which was a territory in 1809, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota were approved and all eventually approved for full statehood, and Illinois became a state in 1818. Now, we must remember that in the early days, Illinois was settled from the south-north because the folks came down from on flat boats down the Ohio River or from Kentucky coming up north. And Kaskaskia, which was at the confluence of the Ohio and Mississippi River, was the first territorial capital established in 1809. Illinois became a state in 1818. And a year later, in 1819, the capital was moved to Vandalia for a period of 20 years by statute. Then, 20 years later, the capital was moved to Springfield in 1839. There is more on that story, which will be coming later. Now, Alton was platted as a town by Colonel Rufus Easton in 1818. He purchased the land for its prime location on the river and the fact there was a ferry already in business there. The town was incorporated by an act of the state legislature in 1837. And that brings us to one of the main parts of the evening's program. We have a very special guest with us this evening, a gentleman by the name of Captain Benjamin Godfrey, who will regale us with his remembrances of those early days in Alton from a firsthand perspective. Captain Godfrey was born December 4th, 1797 in Chatham, Massachusetts to a family of seafarers. His father died in Savannah, Georgia when he was a young boy and he was apprenticed out or ran away depending on who you talk to when he was seven years old. He became a seafarer and made and lost two fortunes before he moved to Alton in 1832. So please give me a warm welcome to our guest this evening, Captain Benjamin Godfrey. My name is Benjamin Godfrey, born in Massachusetts, and I came here to what is now Alton in 1832. Those years before that, I have a long uh, history, so long that would, it would put you to sleep. So I won't tell you too much about that, but I came here to Alton after meeting a young man in New Orleans, and I was in the shipping business. I did a lot of shipping between Europe and the United States and all over, and I met uh, my business partner in New Orleans, and he told me about a city, a young city, a young town called Alton, Illinois, on the Mississippi River. So I came here in 1832 as a married man with over 12 children. I was 24 when I married my wife of 16, but that's the way it was back in these years. I came here to Alton with $50,000. Now, ladies and gentlemen, in 1832, that was a substantial amount of money. The first thing I did here was build a church can you imagine that? I built a church here in Alton, Illinois, and I let the good Baptist people use that building, and I let the Presbyterians use it. I never let the Catholics use it, but that's another story there alone. But the first thing I did was build a church because I felt I needed to do something to repent for my life of sin before I came here to Alton. Now, my life here in Alton was a good life. My first wife died, unfortunately. She was barely 40 years old. We had 12 children together. She died. I went out to Baltimore, came back with another wife, married her, had three more children. But the one thing, I guess it's hard to say the one thing that I am so very, very proud of when I speak to a group like this Back in those years, in the 1830s, 1840s, women were not educated. If you were a man, you could go to school and get a good education. But back then, learning for girls was just some, something that was not heard of before. And here, less than five miles away from where I stand right now, I opened a girls' school called the Monticello seminary for girls in 1838 and i felt that 
if you educated a girl that became a woman, that became a mother, think about all the children that she could have had and could teach those children different things. So my school, we did not, we taught them, of course, how to cook and clean and all that, but we taught them chemistry, writing, music. It was really a marvelous, marvelous school. And that school still to this day stands. It's a beautiful campus here in Godfrey, Illinois, an area named after me, Benjamin Godfrey. It's still there to this day. It's now Lewis and Clark College. But at one time, it was the Monticello Seminary for Girls. In my lifetime, there was one person in particular that I became very good friends with. And if you were from Illinois, if I would ask you, name me a famous historical person from the state of Illinois, you would most likely say Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln was my personal attorney. He was a great fellow. I had a house in, in what we called Lower Alton. But back in those years, ladies and gentlemen, this living in the city was so bad with all these children. And there were no to be crude about it, there were no bathrooms, there was no sanitation. So I built a large, I bought a small home and added onto it out in a place called Monticello, Illinois, which is now Godfrey. And I took my children out there. Abraham Lincoln, again, was my personal attorney. He was a good buddy of mine, a great fellow. He was wise with words, he was a deep thinker. He was so tall, six foot four. He had four sons. And when I built my school for girls, he lamented. He said, Benjamin, how I wish I could send my sons to your school. But it was for girls. One of the most important things that he and I did worked on together was back in these years, ladies and gentlemen, there were no roads. There were dirt to pass. If you had two rows of dirt and mud, that meant wagons went up and down. But the rivers brought life to the communities. So your great cities like St. Louis, like Alton. And if you go to the east and west coast, Baltimore, Boston, New York, San Francisco, all these places developed because of the rivers or the ocean and the traffic back and forth. But with Abraham Lincoln, I started the idea of railroads. My gosh, ladies and gentlemen, railroads, these gigantic machines of steam and power would travel at the high speed of 25 miles an hour between here and places like when I started the railroad between Alton and Springfield. 25 miles an hour, Abraham Lincoln never owned any stock except for stock in my company. Those railroads, and I would fair to say that Amtrak between St. Louis, the next stop is Alton, Illinois, all the way to Chicago, and how wonderful we are blessed to have these trains these are great vehicles of transportation, even in the year 2022. And our station, if you came to our station here in Alton, oh my gosh, if you could say the name glorious, if you could say the word glorious for a station, what a beautiful space it is. So I was involved with railroads. I was involved with schooling of girls. I was a personal friend of Abraham Lincoln. And ladies and gentlemen, please don't fall asleep. And I won't let you fall asleep because my story is so long, but I could just give you just a little bit of it tonight. So again, my name is Benjamin Godfrey from the East, who settled here in this little bitty little town called Alton, Illinois, on the Illinois River with a fortune of $50,000 and it really flowered into something that's really very beautiful, even to this day in 2022. Well, Captain Godfrey, we're not done yet. Now, Captain Godfrey, you made and lost two fortunes 
as a ship owner, you were abducted by pirates in Mexico. Those they... stories that I will not put you to sleep with, but yes, they are true. Yes. And I know that there's something that you're not comfortable talking about, but in your early days of shipping, you were involved in transferring something. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, I usually don't talk about this too much because honestly, at a very serious note, I get upset. And that is slavery. You know, ladies and gentlemen, so many people thought slaves were only in Memphis and Alabama and Mississippi and New Orleans. But ladies and gentlemen, there were slaves in New York, in Baltimore, in Philadelphia, in the presidential house with George Washington, there were slaves. And soon the slaves were not worth much in the North. So where were they worth money? in the south and i was involved with moving them from those places down to new orleans and back into slavery and i felt so terrible that's why i built that church when i first came here to alton i, I felt for my sins but that's part of my life i i cannot deny it i was involved with moving slaves from the north down to the south to be sold as profit in new orleans yes and Alton was founded in 1818. It was platted as a town by Colonel Rufus Easton. And you have to remember that Illinois was settled from the south north. The settlers came either by flatboat down the Ohio River to the confluence of the Mississippi down around Cairo, Illinois, or they came overland from Kentucky, Tennessee, from the south, moving north. And so Illinois became a territory in 1809 as part of the Northwest Ordinance. And the first capital was in Kaskaskia. And then the capital was, when Illinois became a state in 1818, they moved the capital to Vandalia, which was a little bit north. But the legislature said it will be the capital for 20 years. Well, then everybody remembers Abraham Lincoln. Well, he just wasn't elected president in 1860 for the first time. He was a politician, a very good politician. And he first was elected to the legislature in Vandalia from the area of Springfield in the 1840s. And when this whole thing came about, about we're going to move the capital again, there was a statewide referendum, non-binding referendum vote, and the people voted that the capital should be moved to Alton. Yes. Alton, Illinois, was up to be the capital of the state of Illinois. The third capital. But and there's an area, there's a, there's, there's a, it's now, it's just a big circle. But the town fathers, we will donate the land if you build the capital on it, is now called Circle. And, and the Rotary Club, Alton Goffey Rotary Club, has a beautiful fountain there. It's a nice little facility, beautiful, beautiful structure. And so the legislature was meeting in Vandalia. And this group of legislators from the Springfield area, which is Sangamon County, there were nine gentlemen who were in the either state senate or in the house that represented the Sangamon County area. And they were all over six feet tall and they were called the Long Nine. Abraham Lincoln was six foot four. So after the non-binding referendum, the legislature's meeting in Vandalia and there was several votes and there were several towns, Quincy you know, was, was competing for it, Belleville, and nobody got you know, a majority vote. So the, the Long Nine came to the Madison County delegation, and Alton is in Madison County, and they said, hey, boys, here's the deal. You throw your votes to Springfield, and we'll make Alton the railroad capital of the state. We fell for it. Lincoln stole the capital from Alton to Springfield. And, and, really, and really, if you look at it over history, it was a good move. Because if Alton was made the capital, it would have been the third capital and probably moved to Springfield anyway, because it's centrally located here in the state of Illinois. And one thing Mr. Carey mentioned here, the guys got together. Ladies, I'm sorry to say, 
back in these years. You could not vote. You could not own property. It was pathetic. So the guys made the decisions. Personally, my father's family's from Vandalia. My grandfather was a carpenter, worked on the old state capitol building, up in, which is still up in Vandalia. And there was one of my favorite Lincoln stories. And Lincoln was a commensurate politician. He was elected from New Salem as a young legislator, going from Springfield to Vandalia to represent his district. He loved people. He told stories. He was self-educated. Really, really a nice, nice guy. But he was, he was one of my good friends. He knew how he knew how to do deals. And one of my true story, they were having a committee meeting in the in the legislature in Vandalia. He didn't have his votes lined up. He had a bill he wanted to uh, to pass. Two people were on the fence, so they they convened the committee meeting on the second floor of the Capitol building. So he literally jumped out the second floor window, broke his leg which means they didn't have a quorum. True. So True they, ha story. they had to reschedule the meeting two weeks later. In the meantime, with a cast on his leg, Lincoln did his thing and got his votes lined up to get his bill passed to the legislature. You probably heard about the Lincoln-Douglas debates from 1858. Stephen Douglas was a you know, early legislator from Vandalia. Or, or you know, Stephen Douglas was only about this tall. He was a little short little guy. But he had a big, booming voice. Big voice. And Abraham Lincoln was six foot four. And back in these days, ladies and gentlemen, there were over 5,000 people here. For the last debate for the Senate race in 1858, there were no speakers. There were no microphones. And Lincoln spoke like this. So everyone could hear. And Mr. Douglas spoke like this. Yes. And Lincoln was a teetotaler. He had liquor in his house. He liked to entertain. He just personally didn't like the taste of alcohol, as opposed to Mr. Douglas, who was very fond of his brandy. And in fact, they kind of when they, when they got the whole thing together with doing the, doing the debates. And so Lincoln, and you had to remember, in those days, the state legislature, the Senate of the state elected the United States Senator, they were not elected by popular vote. So whatever party controlled the legislature, their candidate became the, the senator. And so uh, uh, Douglas was a Democrat, and Lincoln back then was the Whig Party before the Republican Party was formed. And so Douglas ended up getting elected, but it put Lincoln on the national scene. And getting back to Springfield, and we got to talk about Abraham Lincoln's wife, during these great debates between Douglas and Lincoln, they were taken down. I don't know how they could do it word for word. And they were telegraphing Baltimore and New York and Washington. They, no one knew Abraham Lincoln, but because of those debates and the words of wisdom from Abraham Lincoln, when the election came in 1860 and Lincoln ran for president, it was enough for him to scratch in and become president of the United States. And a little background on that. The Whig Party basically fell apart and slavery was a part of the issue. And so the Republican Party was initially formed in 1856. And there was a state convention in Bloomington, Illinois. Oh, I will have to say this was back in the glory days of the Republican Party. It was the beginning of the Republican Party. They had a meeting in Bloomington in 1856. A guy named George T. Brown from Alton chaired the convention. And that's basically where the Republican Party was formed. And Lincoln formed many political alliances. Now, he was a self-educated attorney. And in those days, the lawyers, what they call, rode the circuit. You got on a horseback, and you went to the courthouses and you may be gone from your home for a couple months at a time. And Lincoln would sit and they didn't have hotels. Either, either you rode a stagecoach or you rode a horse. You stopped in a town. The tavern was the hotel. You stopped in. They had rooms upstairs where you could sleep. That's my kind of hotel. And Lincoln, Lincoln wasn't a drinker, but Lincoln loved sitting around the stove. His fellow travelers were drinking, and Lincoln would tell these wonderful stories and told jokes, and the people just fell in love with the guy. And as president of the United States, 
he would tell these stories and jokes. One time at a cabinet meeting, he told a joke and one of the cabinet members jumped up and said, how in the heck can you tell a joke at this time during the Civil War? Abraham Lincoln's response was, surely if I did not tell a joke, we'd all go crazy. Amen. Amen. Lincoln, we know him by these pictures. He was really a wonderful. I know he could sit down at any one of our tables tonight and he could warm up to you quicker than a warm bun in an oven in December. So Lincoln met several prominent politicians in Illinois and many of them were here in Alton. Abraham Lincoln appeared here to argue his cases as an attorney. He represented people. And Lincoln was, he could do a, a will. He could represent a murderer. He represented Benjamin Godfrey when he built the Alton Sangamon Railroad, which became the Chicago and Alton Railroad. He was a corporate uh, attorney. Oh, I made argued, so argued much cases money. in the, for the Supreme money. Court. So Abraham, his political friends, arranged to have the Republican National Convention of 1860 in Chicago, Illinois. The city of Chicago built a brand new building called the Wigwam to handle this huge group of people. And guess and how, Lincoln, how they came to Chicago. Well, Lincoln. They didn't fly. They didn't drive. They took the train. But Lincoln, Lincoln was, you know, he was, he was the underdog. You, you had several other much more prominent people in, in uh, the guy from New York, one of his team's arrivals. He was, of course, a senator from New York, and his good friend was Cornelius Vanderbilt, who owned the New York Central Railroad. So the boys in Illinois got wind that they were going to, Vanderbilt was giving them two train cars for free to bring supporters from New York to Chicago. One-way tickets. No, no. Vanderbilt gave him two-way tickets. Oh, I gave I gave my boys one-way tickets so I could at least make some money when they came back. When Lincoln's group found out about it, they contacted Captain Godfrey. They said, can you? So Captain Godfrey says, I will pay for them to go to Chicago. And in case Lincoln loses, they're on their own. <laughs> they can find their own way home. And uh, another part of this great story, a true story, that Lincoln's people printed a bunch of counterfeit admission tickets to the wigwam. Can you imagine that in 1860? So at four in the morning, all the Lincoln people were already in the building. They flooded. Everybody else's supporters came up three hours later, and they the guards of the door said, no admittance. <laughs> The One room thing is I'd, full. I'd like to mention a little bit before, and I'm going to spin around once. I'm speaking as a John Meehan, a little boy in Chicago. I heard the name in history of a fellow by the name of Elijah Lovejoy. What a peculiar name he was. And his history is so long. But he came here to Alton in 1837. He was very much an abolitionist, a radical kind of a guy. And he wanted to set up a printing press in Alton, Illinois, and he set it up in my warehouse down by the river. That was 1837. And at that time, ladies and gentlemen, the people that settled in, in Alton were either from the south or from the east. Now, the southern folk were very much pro-slavery, and they drank, and they were illiterate. Don't get me started. But Elijah Lovejoy was killed there in November of 1837 in my warehouse connected with me. The tallest monument in the state of Illinois is for Elijah Lovejoy, less than a mile away from where we sit right here. Quite a magnificent monument to Elijah Lovejoy. Elijah Lovejoy was, was a minister, born at Albion, Maine, had a conversion graduated from Harvard or, or Yale, I forgot which, with, with, or Princeton with, with a degree in theology, ended up in St. Louis, a slave state. 
And he saw the slave auctions and there was a, a riot where a, a group killed a black man. Lovejoy was, was so upset. And, and the people in, in, in St. Louis had thrown his press into the river. So he says, I'm going to come to Alton, Illinois is supposedly a free state. There were several riots where mobs threw the press into the river. And there's nothing not one, worse, three and there's, presses. No, there's nothing worse than getting a bunch of guys hooched up. And you know what that means. Yeah. Boozed up and going down there and they killed him. So ladies the, and gentlemen, this is 1837. There was no funeral. There was no mention of anything. They buried him in an unmarked secret grave here at Alton, and he was laid secretly for years because they were afraid people were going to dig him up. Here in Alton, Illinois, Abraham Lincoln called Elijah Lovejoy the first casualty of the great conflict between the states, the Civil War. Here, right here in Alton, Illinois. So in, in, in Captain Godfrey's warehouse, Lovejoy and his supporters were inside the warehouse. A drunken mob showed up. They tried to set the building on fire. Shots were fired back and forth and a bullet fell Lovejoy and he was killed uh, that evening, November 7th, 1837. He was buried on his 35th birthday. Today at the Alt City Cemetery, there is the Lovejoy Monument, which it's was beautiful. dedicated in 1897. The tallest monument in the state of Illinois, dedicated to his memory. And you heard the name John Brown? John Brown became a radical abolitionist when he heard the news of Lovejoy's assassination. He said, this is wrong, this man should not have been killed, and I will go to my grave to support the abolitionist cause. And that monument is the most visited monument in the state of Illinois, right here in Alton, Illinois. So, Carrie, I don't know how we're running on time, but as you could tell, ladies and gentlemen, stories can be told about this place called Alton. I'm We've glad just scratched you're here. the surface. I'm glad Amtrak comes here. Bring your family down here. And oh my God, should we talk a little bit about well, the hauntings? But, but, should we but, talk but, about the hauntings but, of Alton? The railroad track that you travel, 85% of it is the Same. road that Captain Godfrey built. It's the original right away, the original route. Let's talk just a little bit about ghosts because Alton, Illinois, believe it or not, is labeled the most haunted city. Small city. In the nation. Yes, right here. We have many things that uh, we participate in. As a tour guide, I, I do a lot of things as a tour guide. And one of them is in October, we have a haunted walk slash beer tasting where we yes. go up Broadway and we stop at several buildings that have been certified as having had some kind of ghostly activity. There's a mansion up on Albee Street called the McPike Mansion. Henry McPike was one of the founders of the Republican Party, good friend of Lincoln. He was actually in Springfield in the Telegraph office when the Telegraph notice came through that Abraham Lincoln had won the election. And this house has got a lot of ghostly activities. And uh, whether you believe in it or not, I'm kind of a skeptic, but I've seen some things as well that kind of makes me question whether it's right or not. But hey, we have a lot of interesting things in Alton. Because one, one, of, of, the, one of the things in Alton, in the 1850s, they built a federal prison here. And it didn't have much of a life before the Civil War. But after the Civil War started, Abraham Lincoln opened it up and there were thousands, I'll say it again, thousands of young boys that came up by riverboat and they were imprisoned up on the bluffs above Alton. And it was horrible. The conditions that they, thousands. The died. prison was actually the first public building built by the state of Illinois as a state prison in 1837. You may have heard of a woman by the name of Dorothea Dix, yes. prison reformer. She stopped in Alton, saw the conditions at the Alton prison, went to the General Assembly in Springfield and says, you've got to do something. This is terrible. This is horrible. 
So the General Assembly said, okay, we'll build a new prison in Joliet, which is still in existence. And they closed the prison in Alton. Then when the Civil War broke out, the federal government came in and reopened it. And we always talk about, you know, it it was a prison for Confederate prisoners of war, but it also housed Union deserters, local people who supported the Southern cause. Lincoln, he suspended the writ of habeas corpus. There was a newspaper editor here in Alton that published Southern sympathy views. The federal troops literally kicked his front door in during his family dinner, hauled him out, threw him in the prison, no trial, no hearing with the judge, and he was there until the end of the war. Now, it's interesting. Those of you who believe, well, I believe in spirits, you know, if you believe in a a spirit afterlife, there are some people that say that spirits like to, I'm not an expert on, but they like haunt the rocks, the stones. And after they close this prison, the good people of Alton spread all these stones that the prison was constructed of. They made foundations. They made walls all over Alton. Some say that's why it's such a haunted place, because these stones carry the souls and the torment of these young men. It's a sad part of Alton. But it's a reality that we cannot hide from. Well, and we're going to close things up here coming full circle. Now, this is just, you know, up to the Civil War. After the Civil War, just very briefly, Alton became a very successful place. We had a lot of local people who were very successful businessmen, entrepreneurs, industrialists. And so they established businesses. Illinois Glass Company on Broadway became the largest glass manufacturing plant in the country. We had refineries, steel mills, box companies. We had 40,000 people working in the 1800s, early 1900s. We had several depressions over the years, and Alton was known as a city that knew no depressions because somehow we managed to keep people working and get through the downtimes. And unfortunately, in the 70s, when everything went to hell in a handbasket, all the industries closed. And so then Alton is sitting here going, what are we going to do? We need to transform into a tourist destination, which brings us full circle to where we're at today. The local tourism bureau represents six counties. We have so many things to offer here. And you can go on the Great Rivers Routes Tourism Bureau website. We want to invite you back to visit. Don't go away and don't come back. We have so many things here to offer. There is so much. So much to see and do here. Great places to stay and eat. And the river road, oh my gosh, between Alton and Grafton. Just glorious, right along the great Mississippi River. I'm a Chicago boy. I'm John Meehan speaking. I'm a Chicago boy. I've been here in Alton for 30 years. What a great place. What a great place for history, for intrigue, for dining. It's just a great, great place. And so we're going to close it up. and. We want to thank you all, both here and out there in Zoom land, for bearing with us. And I saw a hand raised up. We will. And John's a retired teacher, so we're going to open up for a couple questions. Before this new railroad station was built, there was another railroad station in Alton, and it was pretty old. Do you know how old it was? Yes. There was well, a bit, well really, the, the one that was torn down was a piece of junk. 1928. Benjamin Godfrey became the GMO Railroad Station in downtown Alton in the 1850s. It was just a big, large stone building. It was more of a warehouse. And then later on, they built a passenger station on the riverfront. We had a union station here in Alton. If you if you go down by where the riverboat is, the gambling boat, right there, that's where the we had a union station. But the old Amtrak station that you came to years ago was built in 1928. It was torn down, and our new station now is beautiful. It really is. No, it wasn't. Yes. Is the old warehouse one of the things that was haunted also in Alton, where Elijah was killed? The warehouse that Elijah Lovejoy was killed at was my, it was called the Benjamin Godfrey Gilman Warehouse. It was our prized building. 
it was lost to history years ago. If you go downtown Alton, where the giant silos are, there's two sections of silos. In between those sections is where the original warehouse. But no, it, it was not specifically haunted or... But it's, that's the spot where where Elijah Lovejoy was killed. And, and I, in closing, I, I, real quick, you know, just kind of bring it around. The flour mill, there is a milling operation still in existence today. Flour milling was an early Alton business because of its location on the river. The farmers would bring their grain in, they would make it to flour, and then they would put it on the steamboats and later the railroad. And the first flour mill was founded by Captain David Sparks. And I just want to tell you real quick this story. He had a son named Charles Fletcher Sparks, who you know was one of five sons, went to work for the business, and became a, a mechanical engineer. He was born in 1861. He graduated from the University of Michigan and completed courses in mechanical engineering. And as a boy, he had been interested in anything mechanical in nature. And he began working in the operation of the Sparks Mill and continued that until his services were required in the business department. He planned and supervised all the improvements on the Spark properties. In time, he became blind, but continued working and filling his time by acquiring facts and inventing equipment pertaining to flour mills. Around 1902, he invented a bag cutting machine, which did away with the handwork of bag cutting for the first time. In the subsequent 24 years, of his blindness, he spent his time researching and inventing. His touch was so delicate with his fingers, he could tell down to a small fraction of an inch by the feel the dimensions of anything that came into his hands. He could with near accuracy estimate sizes and dimensions, which would baffle most people. He drew plans by which skilled workmen could execute those plans. And he also had an interest in boating and founded a boat shop on William Street in downtown, the Sparks Boat and Machine Shop. And he was blind. And he was totally blind. He built engines of his own design and fabricated speedboats and cruisers in later years. And later on, one of the boats that he manufactured was purchased by some ne'er-do-well in Chicago by the name of Al Capone. <laughs> uh, but his blindness forced him to give up boating, but instead he took up swimming, which he had never done before he became blind. So I just want to kind of come full circle. And, you know, there's so many stories about Alton. But uh, Mr. Sparks Sparks was a great inspiration to a lot of people. And uh, so we want to thank you all. Good evening. Gary and John, thank you so much. This is um, a really, I think, one of the best ICB banquet presentations we've had in some time. It's nice to get good perspective about the area where we're at this evening. So uh, thanks again, you guys. And I want to tell you, I spent my dinner having uh, just a great conversation with both these gentlemen, and um, they're, they're just really wonderful people. And we certainly all have to come back sometime and learn some more about the year. Give me another round of applause, guys. Yeah, and we'll all come by train. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Yeah, would be that would be yes, Debbie. That would be fantastic if we could do that. He's a bus tour guide. All right. Well, maybe we can. Uh, maybe next time we come in for a convention, we can uh, get a nice narrated tour. Set something up. That'd be fantastic. All right. We do have one award to give out this evening. And I don't know what one it is. They didn't tell me. The MC is always the last to know. However, before we uh, do that, I wanted to just uh, tell you all that um, this has been a great time. But I want to try just a little something here before we... I don't know if this is going to work. We're going to try something here. Let's do that. Let's do door prize. And I got a little surprise for you if it works out. Ah, there it is. And what does she win? And Brash. Ah, more cards. How about that? I also still have uh, door prizes up here from uh, that were for Terry and Alice. So if you guys want those cards, yeah, they're tie, here. Okay, they're, they're there. Up here for you. And Jimmy Sue, I think, still. Do I we got get her. Uh, okay. I well, I'm right. able to it, good, but good. you know. Before we give out that award, uh, I just want to try a little something here. So just hang with me just a second. I have a group of people here that would like to say hi to you. Just for a moment, please. Uh, Hold on. Ladies and gentlemen, say hi to our president, Rachel Schroeder. What do you think of that? If Byron wants to send me the link, I might could jump on Zoom. (laughs) 
I've heard little, little bits and pieces here and there. I wasn't quite prepared for this, but... Um, that was um, the plan. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say enough how much I appreciate you guys holding down the fort. Uh, we're, we, no problem. And we all know you're, you're where you need to be. And I hope everything is going as well as can be down there. Yeah. <clears throat> Let me get it back together here. <laughs> we had my dad's service today and everything went well. And we've been with family and yeah, we were where we needed to be, but it was very tough not being with my ICB family as well. You guys held down the fort and it's very difficult to turn over the reins after trying to coordinate the convention for so long and turning over the reins, you know, not being in the loop after being in the loop for so long, but I knew even still that um, it was in good hands. And that means an, an awful lot to me that you guys have just really pulled together and made I'm assuming a really good convention happened. So thank you so much for that. We've been getting compliments, like just a very good convention. One person said the best convention they've ever heard. So, uh, and the hybrid's working out great and uh, everything's just cool. I'm glad I at least was able to have a little part in it or a big part in it up until the convention. I was so wanting to be with you guys this weekend. And none of these things happen in, in a time that we, there's never a good time for this kind of stuff then um... well we just thought we'd say hello to you and uh give our best to Del all of our best to delaney and, i will uh, love you oh i love you guys too i want to be there next year <laughs> as long as i have you on the phone if you guys can hear me i'd like to maybe at least do one thing for the convention can i present the award ah well yeah Because I actually will not be able to listen at all tomorrow. So I'm glad I've been able to catch little bits and pieces. It's It's been an exhausting weekend, but I'm glad I've been able to catch little bits and pieces. And I'm assuming you're up to the award. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. I don't want to stop you from your speech, but. Uh... <laughs> go ahead, Rachel. Maureen says go ahead. <laughs> okay. I get my president's privilege back for one last time, huh? <laughs> yes. Maureen says she's going to agree with every word, so go right ahead. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I get my pr president's privilege. I can't talk anymore. Uh, I get my president's privilege back for one more time, but this is one of the best parts of doing a convention is um, being able to recognize people who have, have done great work within ICB, you know, and, and, you know, there's a lot of people, I, I wasn't prepared to do this, so this is totally extemporaneous off the cuff, so I probably would have been more prepared had I known if I was going to do it, but know that everything is heartfelt. One of the best parts of doing this is being able to recognize people who are people that just do for ICB because of their love for ICB and their love for, for what it means to be a member of ICB. This is something that I started as president. And I hope that whoever is our next president, which I don't actually get to vote for, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get to vote tomorrow. I should have put in a, an absentee ballot, made it accessible. Yeah, make it accessible. <laughs> <laughs> but all that aside, whoever the next president is, I hope this is a, a tradition that you will continue. I feel like when you are you know, heading up an organization, it's the people behind you. You're only as good as the people that, that work with you. So I wanted to um, give an award this year. I've been wanting to do this since 2020 or whenever our last convention was, 2019, I don't even remember. But I wanted to present this president's award, my final one, which is also hard to believe, to somebody who has always been there for me as a president. I could call this individual up anytime and ask for information. The information was just like, you know, right off. They didn't have to go research. I mean, they had just always had it. And, um, you know, somebody who works hard for ICB is a good representative of ICB and really works hard. And um, I probably can't say enough about this person and I can't go on all night. What I would just say is that I would like to present the President's Award for 2022 to Karen Campbell.
Karen is the secretary. All right. Gee, I think I know that person pretty well. You think so? Karen, you want to come up here and... Uh... You know, and I don't even go into the advocacy stuff. I told you that this was just totally off the cuff, but one of the main things she does, in addition to being our secretary, is being the uh, chair of the Education and Welfare Committee. <laughs> Education and Welfare. I'm so tired. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Education and Welfare Committee. And, you know, we've had a lot of challenges in front of us lately with the accessible voting and, you know, with a lot of the legislative things that we've tried to do. And Karen has never once looked back and said, I don't want to do this. Probably say yes before I even asked her and that means a whole lot you know in the scope of what ICB does in addition she's always doing stuff for ACB and then looking out also for the deafblind community which is definitely in so many ways underserved and underrepresented in a lot of organizations so for that well, you're not here, kidding on that one so congratulations right. Karen it's my honor and privilege to present you with the president's award this year thank you very much Huge, huge and I'm surprise. Sorry to do it. All I can say is thank you. She's speechless. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't happen often. But. No, it doesn't. Thank you. And can we read the award, maybe? I can do that if you'd like. Yes. Okay. The Illinois Council of the Blind presents the President's Award to Karen Campbell. This award is given in recognition of excellent service to this organization and within the community. We commend you for exemplifying and demonstrating the positive side of what it means to be blind. We want to thank you for your service, and we want to congratulate you for receiving this award. All right. Well, <laughs> nice. This call went a little different than I planned, but it's that's okay. That is perfectly fine. So, I took it back for just a minute. That's you know? okay. I, that you are more than welcome to do that. This has been a bright spot in an otherwise difficult day. Thank you, guys. Well, thank you, and we'll uh, look forward to seeing you back in town. And like you said, we'll get together and just have a little downtime together, and that'll be a oh, wonderful I'm thing. So looking forward to that. <laughs> Oh, boy. All right. I definitely look at the Rachel, we all love you. Get some sleep and uh, have a safe trip home. All right. Love you guys, too. Love you guys. Bye. That went a little differently than I had planned it, but in a great way. And um, it was just, you know, fantastic as far as uh, all of, the, of that. I couldn't have planned that any better. None of us could have. Well, it is time to give somebody some money. You know, we had this 50-50 raffle thing going on all weekend long. So I don't know how much we have to give away, but somebody is about to become really happy. So I'll have Maggie come up here and draw the lucky winner. Or maybe one, let's have one of our speakers draw the winner. Okay. She's going to have one of our speakers. Somebody who's unbiased. <laughs> Okay. And it looks like Albert. Albert Anderson. Okay. Albert Anderson, you won $106. Congratulations, Albert. Congratulations, Albert. 106. 106 bucks. I know who's buying me beer after the memorial service. <laughs> Albert. All right. I know who's buying beer after the memorial service tonight. <laughs>